Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. We want to talk about this great commission that we have, and you all know it well, but what struck me as I looked at the passage in Matthew 28 was that the commission, our job is sandwiched between two thoughts. The first one being that Jesus has all authority and he shares it with us. The second thought being that he is with us at all times. And I would like to suggest to you that we cannot fulfill our part in the great commission unless we stay both in the authority and in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Does that make sense? I give you authority, and we can use that authority, or we don't need to use it. We can go on our own. We can go outside of the authority he's given to us, and we can uh, stay in his presence or not. It's a huge task that I think we all want to buy into. I think at some level, every believer wants to buy into and fulfill their part in the Great Commission. I'd like to believe that. And that is worth, okay? I think we all are looking for a cause to live and die for, something that we can invest our lives in that is worthwhile, that has eternal value, and that will give our life meaning. And that is the Great Commission for us believers. Right? God has more for us than to be born, grow up, go to school, graduate, get married, get a job, have kids, retire, and wait to die. There has to be more to life than that. It's pointless if that's all there is. And so he has for us this great commission, and it's a huge task to preach the gospel, to bring people to a commitment to follow Jesus. We haven't nearly finished that one yet, have we? There are billions of people in our world that do not know the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus put it this way in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We've got several creatures out there that still have not been told the good news of Jesus Christ. We have this huge task, not only of winning them to the Lord Jesus Christ, but mentoring them, training them, not just to do some of the things that Jesus said to do, but to do everything, all that he had commanded them to do. You know, I look at that, and man, we're just scratching the surface in some ways. For example, we read the Sermon on the Mount with all the things that he said there, all the things that he commanded to us, and, and wow, it's a hard task. For example, anyone here really good at loving your enemy? That's, that's a hard thing to do for most of us. Have we been taught how to do that? Maybe not. Maybe so. Also in that great commission, we, or later in, in Matthew in chapter 10 and verse 1, we read this about Jesus. He summoned the 12 and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He told them to go do it. And not only did he give them that authority, he expected them and he expects us to use it as well. In verse 8 sort of makes it worse even because he says this, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. That's something Jesus commanded his disciples to do. And then in Matthew 28, he turns around, Jesus commanded as you go, you teach them to do everything I commanded you. 
Have we been taught how to do all those things? No one taught me to cast out demons. Well, somebody actually did teach me how to cast out demons. Nobody has taught me yet how to raise the dead. I'd like to do that, but I haven't been taught. See, our problem is that we haven't been taught. It's not a lack of will. It's a lack of know-how. We haven't been taught how to do it. And so we have problems teaching other people how to do the things we don't know ourselves. So what can we do? Do we sit back and wring our hands and say, oh, well, I guess I can't do what God expects me to do. I'll just sit here and wait for the end to come. But looking at Great Commission in Matthew 28, we see that the Great Commission brings with it the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word authority is the Greek word exousia, and it's the legal right to rule or to command. I have authority to do things because Jesus tells me I have that authority. I have authority to do things because Jesus, that it brings with it, our command brings with it the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is that we do not automatically live in or minister out of either the authority or the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the two are linked spiritually. We can't have one without the other. Okay. okay. If, you, if you don't walk in Christ's authority, you might have a presence problem. If you're doing what you've not been commissioned to do, not only do you have an authority problem, you have a presence problem as well. If we're doing something Christ would not do or doesn't want done, then we're abusing authority and we're stepping outside of his presence. Similarly, when we're outside of the presence of God, we have no authority. When I say presence there, I'm talking about the manifest congregated presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. If you leave his presence and we become independent from him, we can accomplish nothing because we have no authority and no presence. When the disciples who preached so eloquently on the day of Pentecost... They had been freshly infused with the presence of Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit. And they got up and they preached and then they answered the court so boldly and so wisely. It became obvious to the non-believers that these guys had been with the Lord Jesus. In fact, it tells us that in Acts 4.13. Now, as they observed the, the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. In other words, they hadn't gone to the right rabbinical school. But they noticed this. They were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Amen. Wouldn't it be amazing if just in our everyday path of life, people would recognize that we have been with the Lord Jesus, that his presence would be on us to that degree that unbelievers would recognize there's something special about us. Darren and Judy have a great story about that, and I'm not going to take their... Uh, their wind out of their sails. I'm going to save that for them to tell you. But somebody who is a total non-believer recognized the Lord Jesus' presence in them. And they'll maybe tell us about that next week. Wouldn't it be great if as we went through life, people went, that guy's been with Jesus. That lady, she's, Jesus, there's something about her. I can sense the presence of God on her. I can feel his presence. God does not give us an assignment unless he gives us both the authority and his power, his presence, to accomplish the task. His presence brings authority. Presence also brings power or dunamis, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, it follows that the more time we spend in the manifest presence of God, the more power we should be able to walk in. Does that make sense? The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we will be like him, the more we will walk in his presence, and the more authority we'll have. Jesus had promised his presence through the person of the Holy Spirit. He said, I will be in you. John 14, 16 to 18 says, he will be with you forever. And I will ask the Father, and, and he, the Father, will give you another helper, that he, the Holy Spirit, may be with you forever. That's his presence. And that, that is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it not, does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you, and now he will be in you, and I will not leave you as orphans. That's presence again. I will come to you. It's all about the presence of God. And as you've heard me preach before, there are four kinds of presences of God, if I can put it that way. There is the omnipresence, the fact that God is everywhere. And earlier we read, uh, or had read to us in Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12, it says, Where can I go from thy spirit? Or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the winds of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and their right hand will lay hold of me. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere in the world. I've had the privilege of traveling to some of the world, and you know what? Everywhere I've gone, God happens to be there. Right? He shows up everywhere. So there is the omnipresence of God. There is also the indwelling presence, which we just read about in John 14. I will be in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Then there is the congregated presence where God manifests himself in a particular way when people gather in the name of the Lord Jesus. In Matthew 18, verse 20, he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Do we believe that? Do we even think about that when we come to church? That when we come through these doors and we congregate in the name of the Lord Jesus, that there is a special presence of God when we meet. Then there is the manifest presence of God. And we read about this at various times in Scripture, but it seems like the presence of God will almost suddenly be made known to us, and we become aware of it in a very special way. Uh, let's look at some of the Old Testament passages. When God was leading Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, how did he presence himself? With a cloud and a pillar of fire. A pillar of fire by night so they could see where they were going, and a cloud by day. They knew where the presence of God was. They knew when the presence was leaving and when it was moving on, and they would respond and follow him. And I was thinking, wouldn't that be so much easier if we just had this cloud that we could follow around? The problem is, there's what? A couple of million, couple of, uh, maybe a billion Christians on the face of the earth. What happens if one great big knot of Christians followed Jesus around the world? It just wouldn't work. Everybody would be trying to get near him. And so we have the Holy Spirit that indwells us so we don't have to go to a place but at the same time, God would manifest his presence to his people. Even in the tabernacle, you know, the tent of meeting that they had, and then in the temple, when they were going through the wilderness, they had that whole setup, the, a place to meet with God. 
And uh, we're going to have, there we have a diagram. And uh, you see the white uh, around the outside with the little dots? That was like a wall or a fence that they would put up. It set the barriers of sort of the uh, whole temple or the whole tabernacle location. And then there was the outer court over here on the right with the altar of burnt offerings and the laver where you could wash and become cleansed. And uh, that was to prepare you to go into the holy place. And that was inside the actual tent. Okay, beautiful tent. Uh, but it was all set up. And in there, there were three things. Oh, by the way, the outer courtyard represented um, uh, mercy to the people because of the sacrifices that were there. But the tent itself, the holy place, represents grace because there. But the tent the itself, the showbread, the menorah, the candlestick, and the altar of incense, or the prayers. And we would, uh, the people could go, and the sense, the priests would go in there and be in the presence of God. But beyond that, over on the left, after that purple line there, was what was called the Holy of Holies, or the holiest place. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was uh, in there, and the Shagina glory was on it. The uh, cherubim were there, and in it was Moses' rod and the Ten Commandments. And that was considered to be the place where God's presence was especially congregated, especially gathered. The high priest could only go in once a year to offer uh, the blood of the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, and he would be, I think he'd be a little bit nervous going in. Because, you know, we get scared when we go before some important, you, know, you got to go see a judge in court, you're a little bit nervous, because this guy's got some authority. We might, you know, some of us might be able to meet the queen or meet President Trump or Prime Minister Trudeau. And it might be a little nerve-wracking to go in. But these guys are thinking, I am going into the presence of Almighty God, and I sure hope he finds me acceptable because I'm in trouble if he doesn't. There was a respect and an honor and, yes, even a bit of fear when going into the presence of God in that way. The presence of God also was special when they dedicated the temple. In 1 Kings 8, 10 and 11, we read this about a, a cloud of God's glory. And it came about when the priests came from the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. The glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Can you imagine the presence of God being manifested as a cloud? By the way, I have seen that once in my life. There was this cloud about a foot and a half down as we worshiped from the ceiling. A foot and a half top was, it wasn't smoke, it was cloud. It came when we worshiped and it left when we stopped worshiping. It happens today. But there's that sense that at the dedication of the temple, God's glory, God's weightiness, the kabod of God was so heavy on them that the priests couldn't even stand up. What's it look like when you can't stand up? You fall down, right? It's simple. And, and the, the priests had duties they were to perform, but it was like, I don't know if they were crawling around on their hands and knees trying to do what they were supposed to do or if they just laid on the ground or whatever, but it was so thick and so obvious there that they couldn't do the things that they were supposed to do. That word glory is actually the word kabod, and it literally means the heaviness or the weightiness of God. That's something we don't understand. How can something that is totally spiritual 
have a physical manifestation of weight. We don't know how that works. But the scripture talks about the kabod, the heaviness, the weightiness of God. Uh, I have a friend who lives in Maryland. Her name's Carol Miller, not the Carol Miller we have here. Is she here today? Anyway, she's over there. Yeah, not that Carol Miller, although she's a wonderful lady. But my friend Carol Miller in Maryland uh, is a wonderful lady. She is one armed and dangerous old lady, let me tell you. Spiritually, that is. Okay, she's got no guns that I know of. But she just ministers in the things of the Spirit all the time. She has meetings. She has ministries. She has counseling at her house all the time. Her house is called Eagle's Nest. And the first time I was going down there, I was told, you need to prepare yourself because God lives at Carol Miller's house. And I'm like, cool, that sounds good. So we get there and we're sitting in the family room and like, I'm oblivious, I don't get anything, right? And so I said to Carol, so Steve tells me God lives at your house, where is he? And she goes, oh, you want to visit, spend time with the father? And I went, sure. <sighs> this weight pressed me into the couch for over an hour, probably it was more like three hours. I literally could not get off the couch. There was just such a weight of God's presence and his glory. I mean, it was a fabulous place to be. And, and uh, it happens sometimes that there is that manifest presence of God. So as, as believers, we should believe in the omnipresence of God, and that's all the time. God is always, always everywhere. We should believe in the indwelling presence of God, that he will be in us, and he will never leave us. That's an all-the-time thing, too. The congregated presence of God is some of the time. And the manifest presence of God is some of the time. And that begs the question, is it possible for us to, to cultivate the manifest presence of God in our lives? Is there something we can do to cause him to be present with us in that tangible, recognizable way? And I believe that there are some things that we can do. And, and I just want to give this um, list to you as a way of tweaking some things, okay? Just some, you know, tighten the screws a little bit and, and tighten some things down. And I think the first thing that we need to do if, for the presence of God, the manifest presence of God in our lives, is we need to want that. We need to have a desire for it. And, you know, I don't think we're taught to do that very well. Are we taught to really desire God's presence in our possible? Or do we just kind of go through life without his presence, without even recognizing it's possible for us to be there? You know, if you love somebody and they're away, and you think they're going to come and see you, it was so great. We, we got to spend the day with, with Darren and Judy on Wednesday. I picked them up at the airport, and they came to our place for supper, and it was so exciting because our friends are here, and we're going to be in their presence. And it was, it was, you know, look forward to it. Oh, Judy and Darren are coming on, on Wednesday. And uh, when you love somebody, you want to spend time with them. And you're happy that you get to go in their presence. And that begs the question, do we want the manifest presence of God in our lives? Do we desire it? Do we make, we make time for it? Are we aware of it? Or are we fine without it? Just doing stuff. Secondly, I think we need to be prepared to honor the presence of God. As I said, the uh, holiest place where the priests went in, they went in with fear and trembling. They had an honor for the Lord. Habakkuk 2.20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Proverbs 9 and 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And my question is, do we dishonor the presence of God when we, sin, when we bring sin into the picture or when we just ignore his presence? And can I just say this as nicely as possible? I think as a church, as a congregation, we've gotten kind of sloppy about the presence of the Lord. Okay? If we really believe that the congregated manifest presence of the Lord was waiting in this place, we probably wouldn't mosey in 10 minutes after the service began. Or we wouldn't chat for five minutes while Mike is up here trying to lead us in worship. We wouldn't run out and get coffee because we want to be where our God is. We want to be with him. And I just want to say that as kindly as possible, not legalistically. It's not about making ourselves right with God, but it's about an expression of our desire to be with him in the congregated presence of the Lord. Do we honor it? When I was at Singing Waters, there was a lady that was there. Actually, she was on staff. And every time we had a meeting, she would sit at the back at a table and play solitaire on her laptop, all through worship and all through the teaching. What does that say about her value of the presence of God? Not much, right? She devalued the worship. She devalued the the teaching, she devalued God's presence. On the other hand, when we were there, uh, we had a conference, uh, had uh, um, Robin Mark, remember him? He wrote Revival in Belfast. We had him come, and he was doing a concert at night. We rented the Baptist church. Uh, We had room for 1,100 people, 1,300 people showed up. And I'll tell you, some of those women were downright carnal in their attempt to get close to the front. We knew there was going to be sort of a rush, so we had it all planned out. We would have ushers take you to your seats. They came. It's a wonder people were not trampled to death. They were elbowing one another, and one lady picks up a lady's purse and sits down on the chair. It's like, you can't save seats. I'm sitting here. It was absolutely, I'm sorry to sound so judgmental, but it was a disgusting display of carnality. i got to be near Rob and Mark. And I said to our leader, I wonder if these people would be as anxious if we said Jesus is going to speak to us tonight. They came from hundreds of miles to see Robin Mark. Do we come to be with our God in a manifested way, in a congregated way? On the other hand, there are some more things that... I have seen people who were desirous of being in the presence of the Lord part of that conference, we had put up a tent. It would only seat about 600 people. It was a great big circus tent kind of thing. And the young people who were there serving at, uh, at Singing Waters decided that for some reason, they just felt they wanted to do this. They wanted to read the entire scriptures out loud in the tent from Genesis 1 right through to the end of Revelation. And they set up, they signed up for two hour intervals, 24 hours a day. And they read the scriptures out loud And as they went through scriptures, the longer they read, there was more presence of the Lord in that place. You could feel it walking into the tent. It was like, God is here. Because they had cultivated the presence of the Lord. But if we don't cultivate it, if we're not aware of it, if we treat it lightly, we will lose that sense of the presence. You know, I, I like this saying, we'll wonder where the wonder went. Right? 
it'd be great if every week we came to church and we were in awe and wonder of the presence of God. But if we treat it lightly, we're not going to have that wonder. And we'll wonder where the wonder went. Thirdly, I think we need to pray for it. If we desire it, if we want it, if we honor it, we need to pray and ask the Lord to come. Not just in church, but in our lives, in the, in the reality of every day. Uh, do you remember what Melissa and Josh Jensen told us last time they were here? They said, God always responds to the level of hunger in the room. Yes. And if we're hungry for his presence, we will pray for it. We will ask for it. You know, if you're hungry, you ask for what you want. I remember being in Bolivia, and there was this crazy man named Herman that wanted food, and he would get, we're trying to eat, and he'd get down like this. Oh, give me bread. Please give me bread. You couldn't eat and watch that go at the same time kind of thing. But do we beg for the presence of the Lord the way he begged for food? Or do we just sort of take it all for granted? <clears throat> Graham Cook told us a while back, uh, he's a, a conference speaker from England, and he started small, and he's has grown into a worldwide ministry, but he said when he first was in sort of public speaking, uh, he, he would accept every invitation he got because he had lots of time, but as his schedule filled up, he had to start praying about, do I go to this church, or do I go to that conference, and allow the Lord to say yes or no, and one time he got contacted by a church uh, that uh, he'd never heard of. He didn't know any of the people there. They'd, he didn't know how they got his name, but they invited him to come. And he said, well, I'll pray about it. And he's praying. He says, Father, uh, what about this church? What's it like? And the Lord said to him, how would I know? I haven't been there for 15 years. It's funny, but it's very sad, right? Churches can go all service long and not even notice that God did not come. I remember when I was at uh, Country Hills Church, I was at a pastor's meeting, and there was a pastor there who was very impressed, I think, with his, himself and with his church, and uh, he had this just really arrogant tone, and he's like, well, the other day, my entire staff and I spent the whole day talking about what kind of church people want to go to. And then he proceeded to tell us all the wonderful things, how padded the pews were, and how all, you know, all the fancy programs, and la, 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 la. And he was just like, well, I'm just, and I can't keep my face shut all the time. <laughs> you may have noticed. And so I said, you know what? I don't care how great your music is or how padded your pews are or how eloquent the speaker is. If God's not coming to your church, I can't be bothered coming either. And for some reason, he was offended by that. He looked like I'd taken a big wet salmon and just smacked him up the side of the head with it. And I was like, I can't understand. Anyway, we cannot allow anything to replace the presence of the Lord. Do we pray for his presence or do we take it for granted? Number four, I believe we need to focus on it or attend to it we need to learn to quiet ourselves. And that's why I think it's good to come to church a little bit early so you can come and say, God. It's really difficult to attend. In Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. It's really difficult to attend to the presence of God when we're running around doing a variety of things. I must do this. I must speak to so-and-so. I'm running late. <laughs> if you dash in, you haven't got any time to draw yourself quietly into the presence of the Lord. 
we don't attend to it, we don't search for it until we get to that place that we're shut up with God, not shut up, but closed in with God, and become aware of his presence, we're going to miss what he wants to do in our lives during the service. Number five, I think we need to worship in the presence of God and to invite God who dwells in the praises of his people. Psalm 22, 3 says, Yet thou art holy, O thou who art enthroned upon or dwelleth in the praises of Israel. It seems that, if the, it seems that the praises of his people catch God's ear and he, it draws him to us. He attends to us when we worship him and when we praise him. And worship is to express our appreciation for who a person is and their attributes. And we say, this is so nice. You are so nice. You're so kind. You're so good. And when we enter into worship, it draws his presence to us. And it's more than just an outward exercise. I mean, we've all been in meetings where somebody's up leading worship and the words are there and we sing along, but it's like, we just do it because everybody else is doing it. We don't enter into it spiritually. We don't really connect with it emotionally. We just sing because we're told to sing. But it's true that we can manifest, we can learn to draw into and to participate emotionally and spiritually in worship. John 4, 23, Jesus says, But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is seeking those among us who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Number six, we need to learn to recognize or to discern the manifest presence of God. Sometimes we can literally feel the presence of the Lord in a meeting. At other times, we don't seem to recognize it or maybe to discern it. And it is possible that God is here and we don't even recognize it. I remember I've told you before about the night I was healed. Um, two guys were going to minister to me. And the first thing Mike prayed was, Father, we ask you to come and be with us. And he stopped for a while and then he went, okay. And I went, wait a minute, is he here? And they laughed. It's like, yeah, he's here. I, I just had no experience of that. I just didn't feel or sense his presence. And uh, we need to learn how to recognize it. It's like, it can be like a force field of, or electricity in the air. It's, it's pressure. I was telling you about the, the um, tent at Singing Waters where it was just so powerful, you could step into it. I remember uh, my first real job when I was 16, I got a summer job working at the rubber set, which was a paintbrush factory in Gravenhurst. And because it was all woodworking and everything, they did not have air conditioning. And you would be down on the floor, there'd be dust everywhere, and it was, it was probably a really unhealthy environment. And, um, but at break time, you got to go to the break room and have your lunch, and they had one of those plastic curtains that, with the strips that hang down, you'd walk through. You would go in, you could step through it, and it was like stepping into a refrigerator. It was like, oh, it feels so good in here. And it was 120 Fahrenheit in the break room. I don't know how hot it was on the floor, but you loved being in that presence, right? In that, in that break room. And, and sometimes the tangible presence of God is like that. I remember when my friend Rodney and I were uh, ministering in, in um, Monterey, Mexico, we went to the um, Christ for All Nations uh, school there. And we got there when it was chapel time and the students were worshiping. And again, you could go, I'm in the presence of God, step out through the door, no presence. 
tangible presence, no presence. It was that thick because they were worshiping, and it is the worship that draws the presence of the Lord. So we need to cultivate it. We need to ask for it. We need to learn how to discern it. Number seven, we need to learn how to wait on the presence of God. In Psalm 41, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined uh, to me. He heard my cry. Excuse me, that's not water. And it's not wine, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> it's freshy, I think. It's not as big a miracle. Anyway, where was I? Yes, Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. He heard my cry. When the psalmist cried out to the Lord and then waited patiently for him to come, it says that God inclined, he leaned near, he came close. It was an intimate relationship. What had the psalmist done? He cried out for the Lord to come, and then he waited. Do we cry out, and do we wait? Do we want God's presence to come? Do we cry out to him for it? Then lastly, it's to be led by the presence of God. You know, if we stayed in the presence of God, we would probably accomplish a lot more in life. Right? I like what Henry Blackaby said. He teaches in his book, Experiencing God. There he says, find where God is at work and then go join him. Right? Moses, as he was the earthly leader of Israel, knew how important it was to stay with the presence of God. And uh, there came a time when um, it sounded like God was saying, okay, this is as far as I'm going. You're on your own now. And... and uh, it says this, then he, Moses, said to God, if your presence does not go with, with us, do not lead us up from here. In other words, he's saying, if I can't be in your presence, if we have to go it alone on our own strength, then I'm not going. And we need to learn as believers, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, how to follow him and how to be led by his spirit. The Israelites had it easy. They stayed in the presence of God by only going when and where the cloud was going or the pillar of fire moved. But for us, it's a little more difficult. We need to be able to sense his presence, to hear his voice, to know what he's asking us to do. I've told you before about when we were planning to join the mission, the Lord spoke to me and said, Don, I'm going to Dorchester. Are you coming with me or are you staying here? That made the decision pretty clear, didn't it? but he doesn't always speak quite as clearly, does he? What if we only went where we could take Jesus with us? What if we only watched on TV the things that we could watch with Jesus? What if we only read the things that we could read to Jesus? Wouldn't we stay in his presence better to be with him? What if we went where his spirit leads and we stayed there? And we did what he told us to do. Wouldn't that move our lives up to a whole nother level spiritually? To just know that we're staying in the presence of God. And I believe that is something that the Lord wants for each and every one of us. That we would be with him. That we would know his authority. That we would know his presence. And out of his authority and his presence, we could do our part to accomplish the great commission. So as we close, let me just uh, ask you four questions. One, is, 
do you believe that you share his authority? That's a simple yes or no. Do I believe that or not? Yes, I do. Have you learned to cultivate his presence? I hope so. Have you learned how to stay in the presence of God? I'm kind of experimenting sometimes. I, I play piano a little bit, and I sit down, and I get into the presence of the Lord, and I play some chords, and I have a sense that sort of this is where God is taking it, and then I sort of do my own thing, and I hit a different chord, and it's like, oh, no, that ain't right, right? And so you play it over again. It's like, okay, Lord, lead me even as I play. And, and I just think that's an empowering way to live. Learn to stay in his presence. And then, uh, fourthly, have you learned how to be led by his spirit so you can walk in his authority? Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.